Good morning. This morning's first scripture reading is from Luke 18, verses 9 to 30. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to the heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. People were also bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked him, or they rebuked them. But Jesus called the children to him and said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. A certain ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, Who then can be saved? Jesus replied, What is impossible with man is possible with God. Peter said to him, We have left all we had to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus said to them, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come, eternal life. Our second scripture reading is from Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did, you, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. And our third passage for this morning is from Luke, chapter 6, verses 40 through 45. 
The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. The Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. If you're on Netflix, uh, you may have seen the Cobra Kai TV series. It's a reboot of the Karate Kid movies from the 1980s. The series continues this competition between two characters who represent two different schools of karate. There's Daniel LaRusso. He's here on the right. He's embodied the character of his sensei, Mr. Miyagi, in practicing karate as meditation and zen and self-control. For him, karate is a form of sport and wellness to find balance amidst all the demands of life. And Daniel has challenged that discipline into a successful car dealer business. Meanwhile, his counterpart, Johnny Lawrence, who's on the left here, is Daniel's old high school bully. He's down and out, he's depressed, and struggling with a drinking addiction. But in a moment of inspiration, uh, and fortune, he decides to start his own karate school named Cobra Kai. And he channels the character of his sensei, John Kreese. John Kreese is an old school military veteran who taught his protégés to show no mercy and to win at all costs. This attitude is encapsulated by Johnny's saying, the best defense is more offense. As a new generation of students is attracted to both Daniel and Johnny, we see how their apprentices come up with their expectations for what karate can do for them. Students want to learn karate to build self-confidence, to find a place of belonging, and to be seen as someone who's tough and to be respected. Under the tutelage of their new senseis, we find that they too become, uh, begin to take on the character of their karate masters. You know, in many ways, the students in Cobra Kai describe what happens when people begin a faith journey with Jesus. It's what the Christian church has traditionally called discipleship. And as we continue in our Called and Community series, we're going to look at how discipleship is more than a transfer of knowledge. A life of faith in Jesus means that we are following in the ways of Jesus. And this journey of faith is worked out in the context of relationships, namely in this faith community of a diverse followers of Christ. It's in this context of community that our discipleship, our following of Jesus, is formed more completely and healthily. So today we're going to look at discipleship as apprenticeship, and how this being an apprentice of Jesus is formed by shared practices and a shared imagination. Apprentices of Jesus, apprentices of Jesus who share practices and share imagination. We heard uh, Alice read from Luke chapter 18, that first passage where Jesus tells a parable of two people who come to the temple. One is a Pharisee and the other is a tax collector. 
A Pharisee is a religious teacher respected in Jewish culture. The tax collector, on the other hand, is viewed as a sellout to the Roman occupiers. He lines his own pockets at the expense of his fellow countrymen. They, these two men come to the temple not only with different places in society, but with different postures towards God. The Pharisee is self-assured in his righteousness. He's looking for affirmation for his identity and for his upright life. Meanwhile, the tax collector comes with humility, pleading to God for mercy, saying, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus uses this parable to illustrate the importance of humility when approaching God. We can see how that, but we can also see how that humility applies to being a follower of Jesus. You know, coming to Jesus requires this simple innocence and dependence like a child as Jesus continues on in the following verses, in verses 15 and 17. And Jesus illustrates the point even further, not through a parable, but through an actual encounter with this rich young ruler. In verse 18, you can see what he comes to Jesus with. The ruler comes to the master as if he's seeking the master's approval to his, on his upright life. He expects Jesus to return his greeting, good teacher, with a similar platitude on his moral life. But instead, he finds Jesus challenging him to lay down the obstacles of his own wealth and status in order to be recognized in God's kingdom. We find that following Jesus, like this young, rich young ruler, looks very different than we often think. Dallas Willard is a Christian philosopher, and he writes that the New Testament, from which you know Luke and uh, this account comes from, the New, New Testament is a book about disciples, by disciples, and for disciples of Jesus Christ. Because of that, we cannot avoid the reality of discipleship when we approach the Christian faith. You see, we can come with our presuppositions, with our expectations for God to help us, to affirm us, and to love us, like the students who came to the karate masters. But we cannot experience all that God has for us without understanding what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. You know, even our conversations about, uh, that are happening in our culture about politics, or in our understanding of sexuality, or what we do about racial justice, these conversations as Christ followers must begin and must end with discipleship. But the question is, what is discipleship? Perhaps the term apprentice is more relevant to our modern ear. An apprentice doesn't come to the teacher to affirm their skills and morality. An apprentice is also not an intern, just an intern, where a student serves under a professional to gain important experience. And the apprentice is a TV show, but that's not the kind of apprentice that we're talking about here. Apprenticeship is more than being a student or an intern we can find three characteristics of apprentices of Jesus in the Gospels. The first is apprentices follow. Apprentices of Jesus are first called to follow as we see in Jesus' calling of his disciples. In Mark chapter 1, Jesus calls Andrew, Peter, James, and John while they're fishing. He calls Matthew, who's a tax collector, sitting at his booth in Matthew chapter 9. He calls a political activist named Simon the Zealot, or maybe in today's terms, he would be called Simon the Anti-Fascist. And perhaps an accountant in Judas that was helping to launder money. These were all these men that met Jesus when he called them and says, come, follow me. And what did they do? They left what they did and followed him. 
They left their sources of identity. They left their sources of security and followed Jesus. You see, Jesus didn't say, come and listen to what I have to say. Or come and believe in this new ideology. Or come and register at my school. Though following Jesus may result in all these things happening. Following Jesus is the core of the Christian faith. It's about following a person completely. As we follow as apprentices, we become like the one we follow. Apprentices of Jesus are called to become like their teacher, as we heard Alice read in Luke chapter 6, to become like their teacher in character and in mission. Paul describes in 2 Corinthians 3 how we are all being transformed into his image, that is Christ's image with ever-increasing glory. An apprentice of Jesus is invited into this process of becoming who God has intended for us to be, not just to be okay with where you're at and the kind of person you are now. So apprentices follow, apprentices become, and third, apprentices do. You know, in Mark chapter 3, after calling the disciples and inviting them to be his apprentice, Jesus sends them out to do the ministry that he did. Jesus sends them out to proclaim and to demonstrate the reality of life when God takes God's rightful place in creation. What happens when that takes place? People are healed. Injustice is set right. Hypocrisy is confronted with truth. People are welcomed in who are on the outside. But there's a corollary truth to this last characteristic of doing. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 and 23, Jesus warns about true apprentices and false apprentices. There are those who claim to be uh, followers of Christ and even do things in the name of Christ. They might even perform miraculous feats for God. But the key distinction between true and false apprentices of Jesus are those that Jesus will recognize. In other words, you can do, but not necessarily follow or become. You can do things for Jesus. You can do things in God's name, but not really become like Christ in character. Dallas Willard writes in his book, The Divine Conspiracy, saying, describing an, uh, a disciple as this, or an apprentice, saying, an apprentice is one who has decided to be with another person under appropriate conditions in order to become capable of doing what that person does or to become what that person is. An apprentice decides to be under a person to do what that person does and become what that person does. The apprentice follows the teacher to become like her teacher in order to do what her teacher does. And I wonder, for many who consider America to be a Christian nation, whether January 6th would have unfolded as it did if their activism, their doing, was informed by following and becoming like Jesus. I wonder about the many supporters who I heard as I biked around the city during the protests that were praying to God, that were playing worship music, Christian worship music, in Jesus' name, and waving Christian flags and Jesus 2020 flags, I wonder who were they following? Who were they becoming like to do what they did? Was it the Jesus of Scripture or someone else? But I also wonder about the response of others who see the ugliness of what happened. Yes, there is grief. Yes, there is frustration. Yes, we are, there are calls for justice. But is this kind of response, is this kind of doing reflective of the following and becoming that Jesus calls his apprentices to do. 
You know, it's easy for us to swing a gavel as an armchair judge behind the safety of our computer screens and preach on the pulpit of our social media accounts about others. But the real question for each one of us who call ourselves followers of Christ is, who are you following and who are you becoming like? You know, when we come face to face before Jesus, will we hear Jesus say, well done, good and faithful apprentice? Or will we hear him say, I never knew you, away from me. To be a follower of Christ isn't determined but about, by what you think about yourself. It's about what Jesus recognizes in you that reflects who he is. Jesus didn't come to present a new set of doctrines or fix faulty thinking. He came to change us from the core of our being. Recognizing what's wrong in our world, recognizing what's wrong in our churches begins with addressing what is misdirected in our desires, in our attractions, and in our loves. How are our desires shaped to reflect those of our Savior, Jesus? The key is recognizing our misdirected desires, our misdirected hopes, and allowing Jesus, our master, to reshape them into his likeness. But how does this take place? One of the ways is through shared practices. You know, in the original Karate Kid movie, Mr. Miyagi asks young Daniel to do what seems to be menial tasks around the house so Mr. Miyagi can go fishing. He gets Daniel to sand the hardwood floor. He gets Daniel to wax his antique car collection. Wax on, wax off. And he gets Daniel to paint his weather fence. Paint the fence up, paint the fence down. And then he gets Daniel to paint the siding on his house. Paint side to side. And after days of this, Daniel gets frustrated at Mr. Miyagi, treating him like a slave. And he's wondering, when is he actually going to learn how to fight? Mr. Miyagi responds to Daniel's temper tantrum by getting him to do all these motions while Mr. Miyagi attempts to strike Daniel. And in that moment, Daniel realizes that all the seemingly unrelated tasks he was asked to do formed habits that would lead him to become more like his master, Mr. Miyagi. In the same way, apprentices of Jesus become more like Jesus through routines and rituals that shape our habits so that they become second nature to us. Over time, these practices form habits that shape our hearts and our desires so that we can truly become more like our master Jesus, not only in action and speech, but in our desire and in character from the core of our being. You know, in Luke chapter 6, Jesus says, out of the, in 45, a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his or her heart, and an evil person brings evil things out of the evil stored up in their hearts. For out of the mouth, for the mouth speaks of what the heart is full of. The speak, Bible speaks of our heart as the core of our being. It's the command center of our behavior that often bypasses our brain and cognitive processes. You know, when we find ourselves in conflict, our brain tells us that raising our voices and uh, intimidating others is probably going to make things worse. But it's our heart that drives us to blow up at this other person because we're, we desire to be proven right or we desire to be not ashamed for for looking like we're wrong. You know, my brain tells me that 
succumbing to my temptation to have ice, a bowl of ice cream at 10.30 p.m. while I'm watching Netflix is not really a good choice. But, you know, it's my heart that tells me, ah, I don't care. I'll start working out once the pandemic ends, once the weather gets nicer, once the cows start flying over the moon, and once the sky starts turning purple and yellow at the same time. Many of us find it helpful to sign up for a class at the gym because we need the structure of a shared practice to build healthy habits that changes our motivation and eventually changes our health. You know, God has given us the gift of the church to help us in this habit-forming heart work. It's through shared practices together that each of us can form our hearts and our character and our desires to be more like Jesus. You know, many of us value the Sunday morning shared practice of worshiping together as a faith community. I know it's challenging when it's online, and we appreciate all of you who are hopping on live when we do this together because it means something to each one of us. We're saying it's more than just receiving some knowledge to find encouragement in. It's more the shared practice of gathering together, saying hi in the chat, even if it's online, or hopping onto the virtual cafe after the service, and learning together in 3D, or gathering together in our small groups, even if it's over Zoom during the week. This is saying how I participate. This is participating in the heart-shaping work of Christ in my life, but also in the lives of my sisters and brothers in Christ. And today, in a few moments, we're going to do what Jesus commands his apprentices to share in communion. This is a reminder of us of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and how that event gives us the life that we are created for. And it's in the shared practice of conversations that we have with one another, with people who are very different from us, that we begin to see things from a different perspective and are changed in the process. And it's why the elders invite you to join us in these town hall gatherings on our relationship as a church with our LGBTQ friends. We need to practice these conversations together. None of us are complete in how we understand God's love and truth. And we don't want to be like the Pharisee who comes to the temple seeking to be affirmed in his morality or his position. We want to be a community with the humility of that tax collector saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And it's in these conversations that we can hear God more clearly. But you see, these practices that we practice, they're not neutral. Practices are chosen for a particular end. So the next question then is what assumptions are made when a particular practice is chosen? What kind of vision do we hope a practice will lead us towards? Jesus invited his disciples to follow him, to spend time with him, to watch him do the will of the Father. Their practices and their habits were very in the moment, just day to day walking with Jesus. And how do you know what message and what vision they heard Jesus speak about most in his ministry? What kind of vision was he casting for them? Was it a message of love? No. Was it a message of tolerance? No. Of equality? No. Not freedom, not to be a Christian nation, not to enjoy God's blessings, not to be more just, not to be a faithful steward of your money. What Jesus preached about most in his ministry was the kingdom of God. If you scan through the, the, the Gospels and his teachings and his ministry, 
what Jesus pointed about the most was, look, the kingdom of God. This is what it looks like. The kingdom of God is here. The marginalized are welcomed in. People are healed. We see Jesus demonstrate power that we've never seen before because the kingdom of God was here. When he's doing all these things, he was helping the disciples imagine a different kind of world, imagine a different kind of future. And he did all these things in a variety of settings. He didn't just do them in the church building or in a temple. He did it in people's houses. At the seaside. He did it on the sea, on a mountainside, in the desert. He did it at weddings. He did it at funeral processions. He did it with people who held power, but he also did it with people who, who are powerless. Everywhere he went, he was casting a shared imagination of what life looked like when God's rule and God's reign were present. Just like we sang earlier in the service. Our practices of worship, our prayer, our authentic conversations with one another and of community are meant to do the same. They don't exist just to make us feel connected to God or to get us recharged spiritually, though they certainly do those things. But these practices that we share together are meant to reshape our imagination of what the world looks like when Jesus takes leadership, not only of our lives as individuals, but of the world. Along with a new imagination, these practices form us to be a people that reflect Jesus' own character and to do God's work in the world. If you've ever been injured and you go to see a physical therapist, they will assign specific motions and exercises for you with a specific goal in mind. And that goal is an imagination or a vision of a healthy you with the full functioning of the body. Similarly, our spiritual practices especially together, are meant to help us see a shared imagination of what God's kingdom looks like in a faith community gathering on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. And together, shared practices and a shared imagination is what forms us to be the kind of disciples that Jesus calls us to be. We become faithful apprentices, following Jesus and doing Jesus' work. Can you imagine what our world might look like with more faithful apprentices of Jesus who are following, who are becoming, and doing as Jesus did. Can you imagine faithful apprentices in corporate management that mentor and lift up people of color into positions of leadership rather than upholding white hegemony? Hegemony, is that how you say it? Faithful apprentices in Capitol Hill working together with people across the aisle to make America a more perfect union rather than kowtowing to their base of supporters. I wonder what faithful apprentices in our schools and our administrations would look like that begin to reduce educational inequalities. Can you imagine a world like that? Because Jesus did, and he calls each one of us into that life. So fellow apprentices of Jesus, I leave you here with a few lines of verse. We, in the midst of a pandemic and racism, seems kind of systemic. Polarized people and parties making me sick. Yet Jesus left hope. Left hope. No, not left in a lurch. Left hope, you see, in this thing called church. 
the church, a group of peoples, a gang of disciples, a clan of apprentices who practiced, who dreamed, who became, like this one named, Jesus, that the world would be remade in his name. May it be so, my friends. May it be so. Amen.